I'm Allison. And I'm Stacy. And you're listening to the Best Together Podcast. Brought to you by Blind Early Services Tennessee. And made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Hi, welcome back to the Best Together Podcast. I'm Allison and I'm here with Stacy. And today we're really excited to welcome Jimmy Bame as our guest. Um, we recently met Jimmy through one of our board members, JP, who is also um, a previous podcast guest. He was a really great guest if you have time to go back and listen to his episode. But he introduced us to Jimmy and we've had um, a great intro with him a couple of weeks ago, got to know him better. And and we're just fascinated by his story and wanted to share that with all of our listeners. So I'll tell you first a little bit about Jimmy and then let him tell his story to all of our listeners. Um, but Jimmy completed his master's degree in 2019 from the Peabody College at Vanderbilt University in clinical mental health counseling. Um, his specialties within counseling include, but are not limited to, adjustment to disability, depression, anxiety, chronic pain, suicidal ideation, and addiction. He also serves on the Nashville Mayor's Advisory Committee for People with Disabilities as the president of the Nashville chapter and the state vice president of the National Federation of the Blind. And he's also the founder and president of a 501c3 nonprofit organization that he founded with his wife, Wendy, called You Can Give. Uh, he's also founded and served on the Tennessee Association of Guide Dog Users. He has his own amazing guide dog, um, and he's been a mentor to college students through Learning Ally. So he has a lot of things on his plate, and he's giving so much back to the community here in Tennessee through all of these great endeavors. And we're really excited to have you with us, Jimmy. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us about your story leading up to the loss of vision and how, just your story, give us your story. Nice, awesome, well, thank you. Um, and just an update, cause I, I do so much, uh, a lot of things are constantly evolving and changing as well. So um, in, that, in that bio you read the, um, I'm currently, I have stepped back from, from being vice president of the of, uh, state of Tennessee and uh, president, I'm mentoring the, our new president of the Nashville chapter of the NFB. So I'm, I'm still still there, just not in a leadership role, more in a mentoring okay. role. Um, just right. because Wonderful. I'm focusing more on, on um, the nonprofit, but I'll tell you guys more about that in, yes, in a minute. Yes, yes. Yeah, so yeah, it started, it was a, it was a cold day, October 10th, 1908. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I was born in, in Germany. Um, my dad was in the military. He was from Michigan. He was stationed in Germany. And that's where he met my, my mom, who's German and Polish. And they uh, married. And I was born a little bit after that and lived in Germany till I was about seven and a half. And then my dad um, retired from the army and we moved to Jackson, Tennessee and kind of grew up around Jackson and suburbs of Jackson. And it's kind of where I grew up. That was kind of my hometown. So if I've lost the German accent, it's, <laughs> not, it's the Southern, which comes out even more when I'm tired. Really. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I kind of grew up in West Tennessee, 
now I'm in Nashville and I let you know how I ended up here, but yeah, I, um, when I was about 15, I had a really good friend that had an automotive restyling, customizing, personalization, business restoration, and, uh, gosh, teenager working on cars. I mean, who would not want to do that? Dream come uh, true. Yeah. And get paid for it too. It was awesome. And so by the time I was 18, I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. I want to do this. And so I graduated and um, did not think of ever going back to school. I graduated. I said, I'm done. You won't see me studying or taking tests anymore. I know what I'm doing with my life. And so um, about a year after I graduated, I was married and I uh, started my own business. And so did that from 99, 2000 until 2010. So did the automotive styling business 13, 14 years and really enjoyed it, loved it. And it was during that time that um, it was about 2006, 2007, where um, was having some marital issues and um, my wife and I separated. And so that was very difficult. That was very challenging. I'd never dealt with depression or anxiety uh, or talked about mental health, things like that. Um, but unfortunately things turned for the worse and um, uh, my wife said she wanted a divorce. And so I took that really hard because I wanted to work things out, but um, it just wasn't gonna happen. And so I went into deep depression and isolating and eventually, which led to self-medicating to, to numb myself from the pain I was feeling and, um, and just going through all those feelings and emotions. And so that was really difficult, those, from 2007 to 2010. Of course, you think about 2008, that's when the economy turned south. Mm -hmm. Our business pretty much went to a standstill. And so business was super slow. I remember in January, 2010, business was slow. The weather wasn't that great. Um, I wasn't self-medicating as much because I was <clears throat> not making much money and I'd kind of given up. Um, I I never thought of ending my life, but I just had that feeling that something was going to happen. I just didn't know what. Mm. And just, so, but anyway, there was this one day that everything, just one thing led into another. And it was just like, everything was hitting me at once. And um, I think one of the things that, that, that people think about when it comes to suicide is that it's something that people plan and that it's something that they, you know, they plan out, they write it out, they write these letters or do these certain things, but it's not always the case. A lot of times as well, it, what happens is it's something that pushes them over the mm. head. And that's kind of what happened to me. I didn't have a plan. I felt hopeless and helpless, but it wasn't until that day that everything that was happening just had pushed me over the edge. So the next thing I realized is that I was um, in the ICU a few days later, uh, waking up, not knowing what had happened, 
uh, I was blind and mm. didn't see um, what was, that was the scariest point of my life. And the reason was initially um, what had happened was I attempted suicide. And so I had about a 20% chance of survival wow. that was a, a shot to the head. And, but once I survived and I had a couple surgeries, they were afraid that when I would wake up that I would panic, especially because I couldn't see and it's being foggy, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So um, when I woke up, I had a breathing tube down my throat so I couldn't speak. Uh, my arms and legs were restrained so I couldn't move and, uh, and I couldn't see. And I had no idea what had happened or where I was at. At first, I, I had no recollection of anything what had transpired over those past several days. I remember hearing my dad's voice. And so um, I did the hand gesture of like I wanted to write something. And so he brought a paper and I wrote on there, you know, where am I and what happened? Wow. And so that was kind of the beginning of things starting to sink in as to what happened. So the, I remember those first few days were really, really intense. A lot of crying, a lot of grieving, a lot of pain, physical and emotional, mental. And uh, so that was really, really, really tough. I'd say about the, the third day after I had kind of processed a little bit, I remember my dad coming in that morning and I told him, I said, I said, dad, I, I've I realized I have two options. He was like, well, what, what, do you, what do you mean? I said, well, I can either be a bump on a log and have people take care of me the rest of my life, or uh, I can figure out how to be a blind person, figure out how to, to take this on head on and be independent again. So I told him, I said, can you hand me the phone? He's like, Okay, sure. So he hands me the phone and I call my sister and it took a couple of times because it was the first time dialing a, a phone without being able to see, but second or third time I, I was able to dial the right number and my sister was surprised to hear from me. And I said, Marie, can you Google the Braille alphabet? I said, I guess I'm going to have to learn how to read Braille. So <laughs> can you tell me how that works? And so she Googled it and, um, you know, by the end of about two and a half weeks after that, she had helped me to, to learn Braille. I just visually memorized the dots. Um, wow, that's incredible, incredible. The alphabet, yeah, so I just, it was just, well, I guess that's what I need to do. So let's might as well start, I'm in the hospital, I'm not doing anything, so might as well start on it. And so from there, you know, I had to deal with, still had to deal with the divorce the there were some legal issues in with the the suicide attempt um and so i had legal issues i had to to deal with plus now i had to deal with um being blind having a disability and what does that mean does that mean I, i'm gonna have to live with my parents the rest of my life i'm 29 years old i've been independent i've had my own business and now i'm gonna have to live with my parents you know, can I even wipe my own butt? I mean, I don't even know. I mean, <laughs> what what can I do? I have I have no idea. Um, so that was really difficult. But so I, all those things were still there that I had to deal with. And 
reflecting back now, I think the thing that I really realized is before I could learn and really learn the assistive technology, before I could learn the Braille proficiently and all these other skills that I would use later, was I had to first address my mental health. Yes. I had to first get my, my head on straight. And so I think that was a big piece of what needed to be done first. And I'm glad that my parents and the doctors strongly urged that I get that help and support first. So that's kind of where I started um, from leaving the hospital was, was finding resources to to address my my depression and this trauma that I just went through. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, um, you know, losing your sight is traumatic in itself. But as you mentioned, you you kind of wake up in the hospital and you still have all the previous things that you're dealing with, um, you know, that had pushed you to the edge as you describe and now you have the added you know element of a disability and adjusting to the life you know to a new life of of someone who can't see so where did that resolve come from you know I just think about you in that hospital room calling your sister I'm gonna learn braille immediately it's so incredible Mm -hmm. I mean was it just wow I'm thankful I'm alive and I'm gonna get on with it or um you know, was it the support system around you in that room or what was it that kind of pushed you to, to change the perspective a little bit and say, I'm going to get the help I need and I'm going to make, you know, make a change here. So that was one of the things definitely that the doctors suggested was to be assessed to see what it is that I needed. And so I, I did intensive outpatient and then which transitioned to, um, half days, groups and individual session. And then uh, once I completed that about a month and a half, I transitioned to um, one-on-one therapist. And so that was kind of my journey in that. And that helped to put the pieces together that helped me to process what had happened. That helped me to kind of heal. I was healing physically, but I was also healing emotionally, spiritually, things like that. And, mm-hmm. and so it, it took time. It, it took time to, to do that. And um, that would not have been possible without the support of, of my parents. It would not have been possible, you know, without God and that strength from him to, to give me the second chance in life. Whatever that looked like, I didn't know, but just to be alive, I was very fortunate. And, yeah. and so I didn't know what that held out for me, but um, I just know I didn't want to um, be dependent on people or or be a burden to anyone mm-hmm. have to take care of me. I just that just never was who I was, and that hadn't, that hadn't changed. Yeah. When you were um, getting the help, Jimmy, um, you know, during those months, were the providers? I'm assuming they were um, because of, you know, you speak so highly of um, that, that time that it was, it really was healing for you. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, being an adult, then living with a disability, um, were they, you know, equipped to, to help you deal with that? Or did you have to, 
seek out, um, you know, counselors or medical professionals uh, with, um, you know, education, particularly mm-hmm. toward helping individuals mm-hmm. um, suddenly living with a disability? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. So where I went for intensive inpatient and for individual therapy, they did not have any training to specific that train that's that was specifically geared towards people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it was what I needed at that time. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, I eventually I got more of that through other supports and um, groups and stuff like the the NFB and the ACB and um, other blind individuals. But, and it's now looking back, it's nice to be able to, now that I know more and understand mental health more, if that's an option, I mean, definitely, if you have, if you can meet with a therapist or with a group or that, that they have that training or that experience that can connect with you. I mean, it, I mean, the first step of, of a counseling relationship is the relationship building that, that safe space and that you feel trusted and um, you feel that someone understands you mm. on that day one, you can move quite quickly into the, into the work. And so um, if that's available, that's great. Does that mean that if a person is a therapist is not trained in mental health counseling that they can't help? Uh, no, that's not because some people go to counselors, you know, to talk about uh, trauma and that counselor may have never experienced trauma before, but they've, they've had the training, right? They have the, the, they know the modalities and the techniques, right? And the processes, you, know, you may meet with a counselor um, about your child or about your marriage and they may not have kids, but it doesn't mean sure. that they're, they're not equipped to be able to support you. So um would never want anyone to think that, well, this counselor is, doesn't have a disability or they're not blind that they won't understand me. Um, if you have that access to, to such a person, I mean, that's, that's great, but don't let that keep you from getting the help you need. Because if that, if that therapist is, is trained and, ha- and is licensed, they should be able to provide those supports and services that you need. And you can always pick up a lot of these other things that you don't get from your therapist through support groups or organizations and things like that. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like the, the adjustment to blindness was sort of at the forefront of what you would work on in your mental health journey at that time? Cause it almost sounds like everything else was so heavy and so traumatic that mm-hmm. the adjustment to blindness wasn't quite as, um, you know, at the forefront as it might've been, if that were the only thing going on in your life or, or am I wrong in that? Yeah, it was definitely kind of all kind of didn't have a choice in <laughs> the way, the way it happened <laughs> with me, it was, uh, it was all at once. So I, I, I didn't have this progressive vision loss or I was born that way. It was, yeah. I'm dealing with this disability all of a sudden and 
dealing with all these other things um, on top of that. But I think the the mental health aspect was the foundational piece that helped me to not only deal with the depression and the trauma, but to also deal with uh, this life adjustment, this this transition, this what this new chapter in life would would look like. And so I don't think that I would have excelled as well in, let's say, assistive technology and in Braille and uh, kitchen and mobility if I had not gone and, and first gotten the the mental health that I right. needed. Which we're recording this in May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. So I just want to say, I mean, this will be played later because we have to edit it and things, but it's just such a powerful, unique story and one that I'm really, really grateful that you're willing to share because, and I'm sure this is why you went into the field of mental health counseling, is that sharing these types of stories uh, can only help others who are suffering with any type of mental illness or mental health struggles. So thank you, first of all, thank you, thank you for sharing. And then, you know, when was it that you decided I'm going to, you know, take all this help that I got and look at, you know, how much that changed and improved my life. And I'm going to do the same for other people and make a a second career out of this. Mm -hmm. So, I didn't see how it would be possible for me to to do automotive restyling and customizing. Now, looking back with the training and um, positive philosophy I have, I think I could totally do it. But, yes, you could do it. And this actually, I have actually I have our vehicle that we currently have. I've I've done some things to it, personalize <laughs> it. So it's kind of cool. But um, yeah, looks good to me, anyways. But uh, yeah, so I was I was at a school um, and was doing mobility, was doing assessments for interests and career goals and things like that, trying to figure out what it was that I was going to do because I had no idea. I had no idea, and so in these assessments, and I, I do these with clients today, is is what are your values? What are your strengths? Uh, Your weaknesses? What are the things that you're most interested in? And using those tools to try to identify certain career paths or certain jobs that that may be interested, uh, that you may be interested in. And so I know I didn't wanna sit behind a computer and type away all day. I didn't wanna be in the factory and do the same thing over and over again. I wanted to do something that involved being with people so it was when I was in these groups, uh, mental health groups, support groups, that when I would share my story, that I would always have somebody come to me afterwards and say, you know, I've, I've been there. I've, I've almost went through with that, but I didn't. And now I have a totally different outlook on life after listening to your story that, you know, you're blind and yet you're still, you're still here and and, um, inspirational. And so I thought that, well, maybe if, 
if I can help people avoid some of the mistakes I made and, and see the value of some of the things I did do that, then I, my second chance in life was, was valuable that it had a purpose. And so, um, I remember I was meeting with my mobility instructor and I was like, so like counseling, how does that work? Like, well, you have to go to school for that, right? <laughs> I don't know any blind people that go to college. He's like, oh yeah, we've had several people that have gone to college. And so he told me about Middle Tennessee State University and how they have a great disability student services. So he said, here's the number uh, to their adaptive technology center. You know, you can call and talk to one of them there. That, that's, that they deal with specifically people with disabilities that go to school. So I called there and I met this young lady named Jessica and talked to her and she was so positive. And she and I actually are really good friends up to this day. Um, she's visually impaired. Um, and so we did a tour of me and my mobility trainer. We started to tour MTSU and that's where I wanted to go to practice mobility and ended up applying and going there. So I went to MTSU for my bachelor's and psychology, minoring in social work, and mental health services. And it was funny because I said I would never go back to school again. <laughs> I graduated in 98. I was done. And <laughs> I remember kind of smiling to myself and I was like, guess I'm going back to school. <laughs> so, <laughs> the best um, laid plans. <laughs> yeah. So for, I was there for four and a half years and a lot happened during that time. I, um, was where I got my first guide dog from the seeing eye. His name was Shep. And so that was incredible experience. And I've been a guide dog user ever since. Uh, it was also where I met um, my wife, Wendy, that we've been married now for seven years and uh, met her at MTSU. And so that was uh, such a blessing uh, to meet someone who's also very passionate about um, accessibility and accommodations and just advocating for for her students uh, being a special ed teacher so that was that was really cool I was also connected with um, the National Federation of the Blind and the American Council for the Blind and so these different organizations and different groups and folks throughout the state and then which helped me to meet um, blind people in other parts of the country and eventually other parts of the world just really opened my eyes to focusing not on what I couldn't do, but all these opportunities that were there that would not have even imagined mm. or thought of doing, you know, if I had lost my sight. So that's kind of how I tried to view it is, is, is not as a sentence, but an opportunity. Oh, I love that so much. And I think that's just so what people need to hear, you know, it's so important to have that perspective, whether it's for your child, as is the case for Stacy and I, or if you're an adult, um, or, you know, older child who's progressively losing vision, it, you know, if you can work hard to kind of cognitively reframe some, some right. old schools of thought or, you know, misunderstood schools of thought and, and get that perspective. It can just make all the difference for yourself or your child. So right. I stress that point and I love that you made it. Right. It's all about the mind shift, the reframing, mm -hmm. 
you know, and that takes time to reprogram our our mind after years and years of either these stereotypes or negative thoughts or negative experiences that we have to, to reprogram that it takes mm-hmm. time. It makes me think of uh, MTSU is the biggest university in Tennessee. And, you know, that first semester I got lost so much and it would get so frustrating and, uh, you know, sometimes get really anxious. And I just remember one time I was like, you know what, I'm going to view this like an explorer. I'm exploring. I'm going on an expedition. So I remember <laughs> I forgot where I was. And so I was like, do you need some help? And I'm like, um, I'm on an expedition, but yeah, where am I at? And uh, it, was, it was funny, um, but it was kind of that mindset of me before getting very anxious, worked up, which would affect me being able to focus in class and all that to, okay, if I'm a few minutes late, what's the, what's the worst thing that could happen? So what, next time when I'm around this area, I'm going to know where to go because now that I got, you know, got lost here, now I know what's over here. Next time I'm, I'm going to know which way to turn or, and so I always try to view it as a learning experience that, you know, adjusting kind of, again, reframing. I love that. The next That's time so I'm awesome. working with my son on his cane skills, I'm going to say, we're going on an expedition. Expedition. And that highlights for me, Jimmy, how, um, you know, you mentioned speaking with your dad and realizing you had, you know, you're at a fork in the road. You could, go one of two ways and and you took the um you know the way toward independence for yourself and um you know improving mental health and then obviously working in the mental health field and um but uh you know you could may agree or not agree but in my mind you know it's not like just a light switch goes off and then you're you're always going to have this positive attitude that it really is this day in day out you know making these decisions moment by moment and day by day um, of, of how you're gonna what your outlook's gonna be and how you're gonna view it right right I, I mean i know i've come a long way but i still have those dark days i still yeah. have those days where i feel defeated I feel like I'm struggling. Hmm. Um, that's normal. We we all have those, mm-hmm. those but differences. It's okay. We sit with those difficult emotions and feelings, recognize why they're there, and then it's finding a way to regain that traction. Yeah. And what can I do to to get out of that? mindset reframing and things like that and so like you said you know there was that fork in the road um but when i saw the fork in the road i wanted the fork the knife and the spoon (laughs) 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 i wanted it all you know what else bring it bring it so um yeah so that kind of leads to if we if we go back a few right after i lost my sight and i was i was getting the mental health counseling the other thing I knew, I, I know I needed was a cane. And so, mm-hmm. um, of course, I never heard of JAWS. I didn't know what, what's a screen reader. I had no idea. Uh, I thought, internet, bye-bye. I didn't think that <laughs> I'd have any access to that anymore. Uh, so my dad Googled uh, canes. I was like, so tell me what kind of canes they have. He said, well, there's a black-handled cane that's white. He said, there's another black-handled with white and some red. 
here's another white one. That, that, so which one do you want? It's like, that's it. <laughs> and so you know, with me and my automotive restyling and graphics and stuff, I, I just, I was like, well, just order me the coolest one. So the coolest one was the white with the red. So it's very exciting. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I still had the materials that I used on cars and signage and stuff like that. So I just kind of, I was feeling on the cane and it was in it was five sections. I was like, well, sections pretty much the same. So all I have to really do is measure it and, and wrap it. And it should be the extent of it. And so uh, I did that. So I, I made my cane black and I put a floralay uh, symbol right below the, the handle. And, and so when I went to the rehabilitation training, I had other visually impaired folks or blind folks, they're like, well, I want a cane that has my music studio logo on there. And there was a person like, well, I want one with my Tennessee Vols colors on there. And I was like, sure, I'll, I'll make, make those. And so I did that. And um, after I about made a cane for everyone there <laughs> was good, uh, at the center, uh, I was like, you know, I could probably do a business with this. So it'd be kind of cool to do something on the side. And so that's where custom cane started. And uh, and so I did that through my undergrad and I would have friends help me sometimes with, but for the most part, I did that on my own, just kind of feeling and um, sometimes grabbing someone or my neighbor or, or friend and say, hey, can you, I want to borrow your eyes for a second. I want to make sure this, this book's lined up. Um, but I would, you know, in my mind visually kind of lay out what I wanted the cane to look like. And so I, I did that and if, um, course then when Wendy and I married she's she does a lot of that now and, and helps with that um so that was really cool and so that kind of expanded we were doing canes for people in Australia and England and Japan and Mexico and and all of that Canada so that was really cool to do all these canes in different colors and designs and themes which is something that a lot of people had never thought of before that you know what, what does it matter to a blind person what their cane is, what color it is? Mm. They can't see it anyways. Um, so being able to kind of challenge that's been kind of fun because met a lot of folks who have had vision before, some who still have some vision or folks that have never been able to see, but they kind of like the way red sounds like. Right. Like, yes. I was going to say my son has no vision at all, but He's re recently, he's going to turn five this year, gotten into mm -hmm. what he wears to school. He'll ask me, uh -huh. you know, can I wear the green shirt today? Or uh -huh. can I get a shirt with guitars on it? And, nice. you know, I don't know what green is to him in his mind, mm -hmm. but it, he cares and it matters. Uh -huh. And, you know, so of course we're going to get the green shirt with the guitars on it. <laughs> Absolutely. So um, I love this idea so much. So great. How are people finding you, Jimmy, like all over the world through yeah. your website or word of mouth? You know, it, it, still a lot of it is word of mouth. Uh, we, we do have a website. It's customcane.com. It's custom with a K, cane with a C, and it's singular. Uh, so we have the website. We have the Facebook page. Uh, we usually try to go to a few different conventions around the country with COVID. You know, we did a lot of conventions virtually or with zoom but we try to support 
different conventions and programs that go on and, and talk about uh, custom cane and that concept. So that's that's been really cool. Um, and we've posted on places like Blind Bargains and Blind My Smart and different things like that. So that's been kind of cool, just that people are excited about that. People who at one point did not want to be seen with a cane and that way, that way people wouldn't think that they're blind or that people would think less mm -hmm. of them. Now they're actually embracing their cane, that they're, mm. they're proud of their cane because it's reflecting something about them, their personality. This is really cool to see that. And how did you cane give come about? Was it yeah. sort of tied in with custom cane, I imagine? And Yeah, so it goes back to undergrad and I tried to apply all my assignments and stuff to the lens of someone with a disability. Like, how can I apply this concept or this approach to someone who's blind or someone with a disability in my community? And it was during one, I think it was in my social work class. Um, I was doing research on the prevalence of blindness specifically. And so the major areas of the world where there's the largest population of blindness is first India, second China, and then third throughout the, the continent of Africa. And so and these are places where there's a lot of stigma, stereotypes, these cultures, these old tribes and uh, beliefs and so forth about people with disabilities and so forth that they're a burden that they're a nuisance, that they can't be contributing, they're a financial burden. These are a lot of, these countries are poor. Um, and so there's also lack of resources there. So lack of manufacturing for specifically for products like canes and things like that, you know, because manufacturing is going to be, where, where can we make a profit, right? And, you know, if you have that stigma about people with disabilities you know why are you going to make canes for people that, that have no money that can't afford them and so a lot of these places it's hard to find a cane and if you do find a cane it's very expensive i met a gentleman that was from nigeria and he told me that a folding graphite cane like from ambutech it's about 150 us dollars wow which is a month's worth of rent or a month's worth of food for a family in Nigeria. Yeah. So think of think of what you spend in a month on your rent or your house payment and imagine a cane costing that much. Yeah. Wow. Probably would a lot of us here wouldn't have canes either, you know. And so I was learning about that. And also as I was selling canes to people, people would would want a little bit of a longer cane or a little bit of a shorter cane or you know, they wore their tip out. So instead of getting another tip, well, I'll just, I'll just get another cane and, uh, or their cane broke. Instead of getting it fixed, they just ordered another one. And so it hit me one day. I said, all these canes that are in the closet or under the bed or in the drawer, like these are canes that people around the world would do anything to, to have. And so I went to a convention, Wendy and I went to this convention in Orlando and I thought, why well, don't, I'm just gonna ask people if they'd be willing to donate 
their, their cane, they ordered a new one from me and I'd give them like a credit or $15 or something credit for donating it. And so at the end of that convention, I got, I think it was 11 or 12 canes that were donated. And that wasn't, that wasn't promoting it beforehand or wow. anything like that. That was just asking folks and people were kind of excited about it and excited to know that my cane that I was about to throw in the dresser is going to help somebody around the world. And so I also had met a guy that was going to leave the convention and go to Nicaragua. And so I, I asked him, I said, well, are you going to see some people that maybe need some canes? And he's like, yeah. I said, well, I've got six of them. I think it was six or seven. I said, well, I've got six or seven of them that are ready to go. The other ones needed some work done to them. And so that was where our first batch of canes went. And that's what started the, the You Cane Give initiative. Uh, and because I realized that this was something people were excited about. This was a need. This was something that people had. This was something that uh, it's an opportunity for the blind to help the blind, you know, help other blind people. And it kind of took off from there. That's such an incredible idea. I love it so much. Um... I'm so glad it's been so successful. How many canes have you distributed worldwide so far? All right, so we are into our, going into our seventh year. Uh, we have served 20 countries and we were up to 894 canes wow. until yesterday. Yesterday we sent out another 65 to South Africa. So whatever that is, I'm brain dead right now. So wow. <laughs> we're over 900. So our goal is to hit uh, at least 22 countries and 1,100 canes by the end of the year, which I think we should be able to, to surpass. The other thing that we've provided is um, solar powered, rechargeable talking players that incorporate um, the Bible and also a mobility training guide. And so it, Wow. Um, a lot of these places, there aren't mobility instructors or there aren't governments not willing to pay someone to to provide mobility training to people. So to me, it's well, at least let's at least give them something um, that maybe that doesn't replace having a one on one mobility instructor. But if they can at least get some foundational training through this this guide, that's an audio. Let's do it. So we've that that piece of the player started just in this past year so that's been been really awesome so we've we've done uh 185 of those i believe um of those players and uh and we've done other things like cell phones slate and stylus um magnifiers and sometimes we get donations for other things so um yeah we've, that's we've amazing oh cool i love it are you connecting with other companies in other countries or individuals? How are these being distributed to the people that need them? Mm -hmm. Right. So that's been kind of the process over these past few years is figuring out how to get these canes there. A lot of times shipping the canes are very expensive. A lot of times, even if you get them there, they may be confiscated by the government or be mm -hmm. stolen by the um, person delivering the package lot of theft um, and so sometimes trying to find a way to get the canes to the people has been been challenging so sometimes we find people that are traveling to those countries 
or we get connected with a nonprofit organization within the country. Um, we find different ways we've been creative. Recently, there's yeah. been a, a medical company um, that helped us, th these canes that are going to South Africa now, they actually uh, donated to have the these canes. And it was, a, you know, I think about a 50 pound box of canes and, and eye protective wear um, shipped to South Africa. So I wasn't cheap and but they were willing to donate it so we've gotten a lot of support from again from all different organizations from the nfb acb lions club um ls and s maxi aids has helped some ambutech has has been donating a lot of materials to help us with the cane restoration like the elastic mm -hmm. um, and tips and so forth and um so we've, we've had a lot of support. We've made connections with uh, the Latin Union of the Blind. We're working with that relationship to serve more of the Latin community. Uh, got a good relationship with the African Union of the Blind. Um, and yeah, so we, we've, so a lot of it has just been a word of mouth. A lot of it is, is people connecting us with people that they already know. Uh, finding, you know, online sometimes just Googling or looking up schools in certain countries and connecting with them. And um, yeah, that's kind of how it's, it's progressed. Are there just, any organizations in the U.S. doing anything similar to what you're doing? Or are you the only ones? Um, there's a couple, well, I, I know of at least one other organization that, that, that does um, some cane this disbursements and yeah. we actually we we actually provide them some of the canes that they take and i know okay. they focus more on um latin america um but i don't know of any organization that that's focusing internationally um so incredible mm -hmm. i asked that because when we started our nonprofit, we looked to other organizations in other states who were doing similar work as sort of a you know, mentor or even a blueprint in some cases of how to do it. So just thinking that you did all of this, you and your wife on your own and figured out all those logistics to do a global venture is really incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's been really cool because now we've, we've, we've established a really, really strong board on our, you can give um, organization and our, our board is made up of other visually impaired folks, made up of psych school psychologists. We've, we got an ophthalmologist on our board. We have a financial advisor on our board, um, mobility instructor, school teacher. And then we have a couple of people that have actually been in the Peace Corps. So that's really good experience. And so we've got a, 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 a array of experience and people with the same passion that we do. Um, and so that that's really really exciting and with us working together what we've kind of done is identified that we want to instead of just giving out canes and or traveling to places occasionally uh, 2019 before covid we went to kenya for for 12 days and that was pretty amazing um, but we focused on five locations during that time. And I just, I realized in that time that there was only so much we could do in one day. 
Mm. And so one of the things that we decided that we want to do is to be able to focus on one or two locations and institute a suite of services, put it to institute this program that provides canes, that provides mental health services, that provides mobility instructors to bring mobility instructors over from the states there to provide training and train the trainers, um, provide the solar powered rechargeable talking Bibles and mobility guides and just focus to where that eventually that program becomes self-sufficient to where they are able to maintain and restore their canes that we can continue to supply canes to them they can disperse them and um, allowing that program to become self-sufficient and then us being able then to to focus on another location so i'm really excited about that so that way we can really um, make an impact and a lasting impact um, in these different places around the world. Wow. Kudos to you and Wendy. Amazing. Yes. And you and Wendy are both doing this venture in addition to your full-time jobs. Um, so yeah. I know that takes a lot of effort on your part. It's really amazing. Um, and what, um, what eye conditions are you seeing in these other countries? Is it the same ones that are prevalent here in the US? Um, is there a large portion of uh, you know, pediatric blindness cases? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's very widespread, a large, just a large array of, of different types of blindness. And um, also see a lot of blindness from uh, crime, from violence, from mm. wars. So see a lot of um, um, war vets that that come out of wars with with blindness or disabilities, things like that. Um, albinism, mm -hmm. uh, you see that, and and throughout Africa, some of these tribes view people who have albinism. They view them as as cursed. Wow. So they have them killed, or mm. some tribes view that their blood is is some kind of magic, and then so they'll actually they'll kill the, the person with albinism and uh, use their blood, you know, cause I think it's, it has some kind of healing powers. And so these people who are, who have albinism and are blind there, I mean, it's scary, you That's know, terrifying, um, terrifying. So I've met some incredible people that, you know, that have been in wars that have lost their side due to genetics or, um, traumatic events, but are, are doing incredible things too. So it's, it's so great, the work that we're doing, but also just being able to see the work that other people are doing as well. And that's all that yeah. they need is they just need the proper tools, the proper mindset, that positive philosophy, and it's incredible what we can do and how resilient we are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we always like to end our podcast with asking for some advice. <laughs> so what advice would you give to parents who, you know, maybe have a child newly diagnosed with blindness um, and are worried about the future or adults like yourself who may have a progressive vision loss or a sudden loss of vision? Um, what would you say to them? First, I would say validate what you're feeling. Mm. What you're feeling is real. 
you're not alone. There are other people that have been there. A lot of people that are there and will be there. You know, be exactly like yours situation, but um, just validating that pain, the grief, whatever it is that you're feeling, anger, sadness, but know that that's not the end. It's not the end of the book. It's just maybe the end of that chapter. And a lot of times endings lead to beginnings. And so this is an opportunity that you're going to be put in contact with people, organizations, opportunities that you may have never have imagined. So it's again, that, that mindset, right? Of, of this isn't a death sentence. This is, this is an opportunity. This is a, a new chapter in my life. And so again, validating what you're feeling is real. But with that, just knowing that there's so many things out there for the taking and things that you can do that you may have never imagined or never considered doing. When I was 18, I graduated and I knew I was going to go into the car business. If you would have said, Jimmy, you're, you're going to be a mental health counselor and blind. Die dog. <laughs> okay. I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. what are you smoking? Uh-huh. But I would have never known, but none of those opportunities would have presented if I hadn't experienced what I did. And so I encourage, again, validating the feelings have someone to talk to, find organizations that you can connect to. If you're a parent there, find these organizations like yours or um, the ACB, the NFB have organizations for, for blind parents and Learning Ally. You know, these organizations that provide resources and services to uh, blind kids and to students, you know, get connected with people that have the same values that you do, that understand what you're going through and that is so huge and don't hesitate from if you need help that that's okay yes having those resources Mm -hmm. you know if includes mental health you know just as you go to a doctor if you have a heart problem you go to a heart doctor you know if you your foot hurts you go to the foot doctor you don't go to a a construction worker you know If you're sad and, and you, you feel stuck in that sadness or stuck in that grief, then you go to a, someone who, who specializes in the brain mm-hmm. and mental health. And so um, that's what they're there for. Yeah. And they're the experts and they'll, they'll help you. They'll help you process and work through that, that grieving or wherever it is that you're at in your journey. And then getting connected with these resources and other people, then it's going to open up opportunities for education, for jobs, for traveling, for doing things that I mean, you could never have imagined that uh, was possible. But I think, like for me, I think the foundation is your mental health and getting connected, finding those resources. Great advice. Great advice. Well, how can our listeners find you, whether it be your nonprofit or your mental health counseling services or the custom canes? Mm-hmm. Where can they where can we direct them? Yeah. So um, for the custom canes, uh, website is customcane.com. It's custom with a K, cane with a C, and it's singular. Um, we also 
a Facebook page, it's Custom Cane. The youcanegiveinitiative.org. You, well, actually, youcanegiveinitiative.org and also a Facebook page. You can see what we're doing and where we're at and see how you can support us. Uh, with, if you're within the state of Tennessee and you want someone to talk to or want to connect, be connected to some resources or services or, or mental health counseling, uh, you can go to my website, alliancenashville.com, and uh, there you can see uh, some of my resources and my contact information to get a hold of me as well. I also have a Facebook page there. Thank Wonderful. you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jimmy. It's been um, such a pleasure to have you on the podcast and hear your honest story and advice. Um, and I'm so inspired as well by by what you've accomplished in these these past years. It's really incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank Slightly. you for giving me the opportunity to share my story. It's that's definitely been part of my healing. And um, I appreciate what you guys do. And uh, I think in some ways our stories are similar in that we saw that there was a need and we took our the own, our own initiative to make it happen. And um, I think that that's awesome. So I appreciate you guys for, for what you and your organization do and, and for this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Do you know a family or provider in need of resources to support a child with low vision or blindness? Do you know someone with lived experience or professional expertise related to blindness who might be willing to share their story? If so, please reach out to us at blindearlyservices.org. Thank you for listening to the Best Together podcast and for supporting our mission. And please stay in touch. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Blind Early Services. Until next time.